Good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll chat once again with provincial entomologist John Gavlowski. And up first, in today's country comment, I'll catch up with the CEO of the Manitoba Habitat Heritage Corporation. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. The Manitoba Habitat Heritage Corporation has announced $5.5 million in grants to 12 Manitoba watershed districts for new land and water conservation projects. Here is CEO Tim Sopak. This money is all coming from endowment funds that the province of Manitoba has set up over the last three years. There's $200 million at the Winnipeg Foundation and it generates annual revenues in the range of about $9 million a year. And uh, this was the second round of announcements that we were able to make uh, from from the funds. And uh, this time around, 12 Manitoba watershed districts, 12 of the 14 we have, uh, are receiving a total of $5.5 million to support their watershed programs. Yeah, and I guess this comes from a couple of different um, programs like the, uh, the, Grow, uh, the Conservation Trust and the Grow, Grow Trust as well? That's right. But there's actually three different trust funds, the Conservation Trust, uh, the Grow Trust, and the Wetlands Grow Trust. And uh, this, uh, this funding is focusing on the second and the third of those three funds. And uh, really, those funds were set up to help watershed districts do their job. Um, they're set up to improve conservation of land and water in their watersheds. And this new money that comes out every year because of the trust uh, has helped those districts to double and in some cases triple their field programs. So it's really quite a, quite a significant increase in conservation activity. And most of this is going towards keeping water on the land and in a year like this, when we all have our eye to the sky, wondering about when it's going to rain next, uh, anything we can do to keep water in the land is a good thing. And Tim, um, I guess just give us some of the highlights on, on where this money will be going. Uh, so we have 12 watershed districts in total. So that's all, pretty much all across Agro-Manitoba. Uh, uh, those groups will, will be receiving those funds, and they'll do a range of things, everything from small water retention projects to planting permanent cover on lands that uh, are at high erosion risk. Uh, there's all kinds of activities to support cattle producers with off-site watering systems, riparian area management, those kinds of things. So a real mixed bag of activities that all benefit our watersheds and occurring all across Agro-Manitoba. The Assiniboine West Watershed District um, is getting $1.16 million, the largest grant ever uh, to a watershed district in, in Manitoba. That's right. Uh, when when this program was launched, um, and we talk about GROW as an acronym, it stands for Growing Outcomes in Watersheds. The Assiniboine West District really took their bit in their teeth and uh, have uh, quite a quite an array of programs and uh, have demonstrated they're able to um, provide incentives and other activities for landowners to, to deliver programs. So, yeah. By quite a bit, this is the largest single grant that's ever gone to a watershed district in Manitoba. The manager tells me that they're probably tripling their program there now compared to two or three years ago. Tim, I guess talk a little bit about, you know, on a year, on a dry year like this, um, you know, how these projects will will help just with water management. Well, um, water management 
is as much about keeping water on the land where you need it as it is about effectively managing excess water. So the projects that are being supported here are about really about providing and keeping keeping water on the land where you need it. So whether it's small uh, small water retention structures where landowners would like to hold hold a bit of water for cattle uh, or other purposes, or you know planting grass in areas that uh, may be eroding but also will hold more water because the grass is there. Um, all of these kinds of activities really pay dividends in a year like this where we're all crying for more water. Any final thoughts here, Tim? We continue to be beneficiaries of some real uh, foresight that the province of Manitoba showed by establishing these funds. I mean, it was a lot of money when they went into the endowments, but now we're seeing uh, the annual benefit. And it makes sense that Manitoba, which has so many water issues, that we're focusing our efforts on watershed projects in, in our agricultural landscape because... Now, that's where we can have the greatest impact. That was Tim Sopak. He's the CEO of Manitoba Habitat Heritage Corporation. The group announced this week $5.5 million in grants to 12 Manitoba watershed districts for new land and water conservation projects. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. The Manitoba government and the Manitoba 4-H Council have selected agriculture in the classroom as the first recipient of the Alexander Sherban Agriculture Industry Development Program. The program supports activities to strengthen industry development and leadership in the agriculture and food industry and is administered by the Manitoba 4-H Council. Agriculture in the Classroom Manitoba's project, entitled The Foundation of Manitoba Agriculture Educator Primer, will provide education and awareness to enhance public trust in agriculture, in print and online, the project will introduce the foundations of Manitoba primary agriculture production. The shadow minister for agriculture and agri-food says conservative MPs were able to get some key legislation for the egg sector through the House of Commons during the last session. Leanne Rood says that was key since they have a number of concerns with some of the government's legislation like Bill C-12, which has now moved on to the Senate. You know, that bill will actually put farmers at risk. It will reduce their ability to use fertilizers from nitrogen and natural natural gas feed stocks. So we are concerned about that bill. And Conservatives did vote against that bill. Clean fuel standard regulations, of course, we, we see that coming through right now. And there are still some concerns that I'm hearing from canola and corn producers. We're looking for clarity on qualifying feed stock for biofuels production. So we'll have to wait and see what the government does on that. Rude notes they're still waiting on the federal government and provinces on the development of the Grocery Code of Conduct and improvements to the business risk management programs. And on that note, Bill C-208 has received royal assent. Brandon Suris MP Larry McGuire's private member's bill addresses long-standing barriers that make it more costly to transfer a farm to a family member than to a third party. And Grasshopper Hatch is pretty much done. John Gavlosky is an entomologist with Manitoba Agriculture. It's good to be scouting your field edges, your ditches, anywhere that had a lot of lush green vegetation last August and September when they would have been laying eggs. Uh, those are the areas where you're likely to see the greatest concentrations of grasshoppers right now. So good to be checking those areas, getting to just assess what those populations are like. And if by chance you do have a heavy population and some control might be needed, easier to do it when they're young than waiting till they're adults. 
That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Egg Wire for Wednesday, June 30th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee Allen Vossler talks with KPMG Canada's national leader for agribusiness. KPMG Canada has launched a three-part report entitled Growing Canada, How Agribusiness is Evolving, which finds that agribusiness has the potential to help Canada's economic recovery through the adoption of agricultural technologies. On today's show, Glenda Lee Allen Vossler talks with KPMG Canada's national leader for agribusiness, David Guthrie. To begin with, uh, talk to us uh, about this report, the basics of it, if you will. The report really came out of the COVID crisis as we started to see weaknesses within our food system, but also opportunities within our food system in Canada. This covered off a number of topics, including supply chain issues, food safety and food security, food insecurity and people accessing food, the issues with accessing labor and the need for temporary foreign workers, as well as issues between our domestic food supply and our global food supply. Now, in this report, Growing Canada, How Agribusiness is Evolving, you talk about the fact that agriculture's sector's potential is is really key here, that we can be a real driver of economic growth. Absolutely. And this is where our population is expected to hit 10 billion people by 2050. So that's up from approximately 7 billion today. So we have a number of mouths that we're going to have to... Uh, feed going forward and this has the opportunity to really contribute 11 billion dollars in our GDP by 2030. That being said the agriculture sector continues to deal with a a number of challenges here. Yeah there are definitely a number of significant challenges um, within our within our food system and accessing labor has really been put into the forefront of of the the needs for our food system. When there was potential of temporary foreign workers not able to come into Canada, a lot of producers were wondering who's going to harvest their their product off their fields or within their barns. And this is really becoming, you know, a need, but also the opportunity where potentially technology can be a solution. In the report, you talk about the fact that the next generation of farming is here. You may want to call it the the Facebook generation. Um, these are, you know, young adults that grew up with a phone in their hand. They're used to doing things digitally. They're used to web-based applications. They're used to everything data. And then using that data to, to analyze it, to uh, be more productive, increase yields. So it's really the this next generation is, I find from my experience, more willing to adopt new technologies because they're comfortable with their data being out in cyberspace and they're w- willing to share their data as well. 
When we're talking about the agriculture sector, sustainability has really become a a key part of it. It's really become, if you want to say, a a buzzword now. Yes. I see sustainability as the social license for farmers to operate. Uh, we, We see this with major food brands uh, promoting sustainably grown products. Um, and really, at the end of the day, consumers will be demanding this uh, from the food that is being produced. Also, we there's no new land that's getting created. Uh, so either we need to look at preserving the existing farmland that we have or converting any land that is farmable or looking at alternate growing methods. Uh, For example, controlled environment agriculture or vertical growing. At the end of the day, we need to grow more with less. And when we're talking about that, where do you see that going? You you referenced a couple of, of areas there. So I think from a sustainability perspective, uh, it comes down to measuring what we're inputting into our uh, food system. Then analyzing, you know, what areas can we save our inputs? So whether that's using solar panels to produce electricity or rainwater uh, systems, capture systems, or is it other new technologies, uh, whether it's looking at applications where you're using less fertilizer um, or other applications at the end of the day, which result in higher yields or higher productivity. In the last number of years, we've seen some some big changes happening in in agriculture, and there seems to be a a real move as far as advancements in ag technology. Whether we're talking drone use, even autonomous farming uh, is is showing up more and more. Your thoughts on on where you see this going, where this will go, and the difference it will make in agriculture. This is the exciting part of the future of food or the future of agriculture. And I see the the future is really, if you think of it as a, a, a control room with a number of monitors and a number of sensors feeding in, it's, you know, that's essentially the vision of the farm of the future is going to be an office with a number of monitoring stations that will tell you what is working, what is not working, what are predictive yields, uh, what are predictive issues within your farming operation. This is really the exciting, and if you think ahead, you know, 20, even, you know, 30 years, of the, the way we farm today will be completely different. That's David Guthrie, the national leader for agribusiness for KPMG in Canada. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen Bossler. Thanks, Glendalee. That's it for the Prairie Egg Wire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email the farm desk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glendalee Allen Bossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon.
The Prairie Egg Wire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. CFAM Radio 950 is hosting a Farmer Appreciation Lunch July 13th at the Harvest Christian Fellowship Church parking lot in Plum Coulee. It'll be a drive through event taking place from 1130 until 1. The grand prize is a Meridian Grain Max Hopper Bottom Bin valued at more than $20,000. Sponsors this year include Loadline Manufacturing, Red River Seed in Morris, and Schooler in Winkler, Plum Coulee, and St. Jean. Farm Credit Canada is offering a free online workshop entitled The Modern Farm Family Transition, taking place July 13th. Go to the FCC website to register. And the Canadian Semental Association has moved its AGM online this year, July 24th. Visit their website for viewing information. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Wednesday afternoon, we're joined once again by the province's entomologist, John Gavlosky. Cereal leaf beetle, it's a uh, beetle that the, the, the larva is what we're seeing on the plants right now, and they make these white streaks on the leaves. So it'll be a long white streak, um, and it might have what looks like a small oily drop near the end of it. That's actually the larva and they coat themselves in their own feces. That's what makes them look oily. We're not seeing economic populations that we would be advising people to spray for, but they have been noticeable in some mainly wheat and oat fields and mainly in the eastern region. Um, so the area around Steinbeck, Niverville. Um, this, this afternoon, my students actually up in Austin checking out a field that they're reporting noticeable levels. Again, not economic, but noticeable. What we're doing is we're actually collecting larvae and testing them to see how um, what the percent parasitism is in these larvae. We've been doing releases of a parasitic wasp that targets specifically this beetle and their larvae. And we're trying to figure out how well has our biocontrol kicked in and how good of a job is it doing. So uh, last year we did the same thing. Some of the samples we got from the eastern region were showing 50-60% parasitism, which is really super. And we're wanting to see, is that continuing? So we're encouraging people, if you are seeing cereal leaf beetle in your field, uh, just contact me, let me know. We'll get out there, we'll get a sample, and we'll figure out what the percent parasitism is. Anything else that's uh, worth mentioning at this point? Or? The other thing that I'll just mention, a lot of people have been sending me photos uh, or calling in about blister beetles, and they're seeing either black, gray, or one that's metallic, green, and purple. The black and gray ones, there's a lot of them this year, and that's because the larva feeds specifically on grasshopper eggs, and when the grasshopper populations start building, you see more of these black and gray blister beetles. So uh, they will feed in crops like soybeans and canola and sometimes potatoes and other things. Generally, they're not a pest. It would take a lot of foliation for them to be an issue. They tend to be gregarious, so you might see an area of a field where there's a lot of them and they're doing what looks like heavy defoliation, but usually it's just in patches like that. And again, uh, appreciate they do have a good side to them. The larva specifically eats grasshopper eggs. So, um, being a year where we're getting more grasshoppers, we've had them building for a few years, we're seeing more of these blister beetles. That was provincial entomologist John Gavlosky. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment.
Time now for another look at today's farm news. Provincial entomologist John Gavlowski has been getting a lot of calls lately about blister beetles. He tells us more. They're seeing either black, gray, or one that's metallic, green, and purple. The black and gray ones, there's a lot of them this year, and that's because the larva feeds specifically on grasshopper eggs. And when the grasshopper populations start building, you see more of these black and gray blister beetles. They will feed in crops like soybeans and canola and sometimes potatoes and other things. Generally, they're not a pest. It would take a lot of foliation for them to be an issue. The House of Commons has adjourned for the summer. Leanne Rood is the Conservative Shadow Minister for Agriculture and Agri-Food. She says there were some good things that happened for agriculture thanks to some private members' bills that were put forward by her Conservative colleagues. Bill C-206 just passed the House of Commons, I believe, on Wednesday, on the last sitting day. And uh, that was by my colleague Phil Lawrence, which was to extend the existing carbon tax exemption for farmers on gasoline and fuel oils uh, to include natural gas and propane for grain drying. So the bill is now in the Senate, and we'll have to wait to see what the Senate does with that bill. But that's great news uh, coming out of the House of Commons. She notes another key bill for producers was Bill C-208, which helps with succession planning as it puts the sale of a farm or ranch to a family member on the same tax footing as if it was sold to someone else. And that bill has received royal assent. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.